on the first Sunday of the year, typically what I try to do is uh, encourage us to read the Bible. And so normally my sermon, the first Sunday of the year, is about what we do with the Bible in between Sundays, so to speak. What you do with the Bible on your own, at home, during the week, encouraging you to read it regularly, to give time to the Bible daily. But this year, I want to focus not on what we do with the Bible when we scatter, but what we do with the Bible when we gather. What do we do with the Bible when we come together? What should you expect to happen with the Bible when we come together on Sundays for worship? What we do with the Bible on our own during the week is, of course, important. It's of great importance, but it's also important that we know what we're supposed to do with the Bible when we come together. And Paul gives deliberate attention to this question of what we are to do with the Bible when we come together in both of the letters that he wrote to Timothy. And we're going to focus on 2 Timothy, and in particular to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through chapter 4, verse 5. Though we'll bring in 1 Timothy a little bit as well. But again, I want us to consider, I want you to be thinking about, what should we do with the Bible when we come together? What should you expect to receive right, from the Word when we gather together on Sunday mornings? We're going to start with what Paul says about not just what we do with the Bible, but what the Bible is. Because before we need to know what we do with it, right, what, what it's for, we need to know what it is. What is so special about the Bible? What is so significant about the Bible? What sets the Bible apart from everything else? Paul tells us quite plainly what's so significant about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. These are verses that I hope are familiar to you. If they're not familiar to you yet, I hope they become familiar to you. Here's what Paul says. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable right, for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or competent, your translation might say, equipped for every good work. Now, what does he mean when he says all scripture? All scripture is breathed out by God. What is all scripture? What is he talking about? Well, the main thing he's talking about there might not be what you would expect. The main thing he's talking about when he says all Scripture is the Old Testament. Now, why do I say that? How do we know that? Well, think about it for just a moment. Who wrote the New Testament? The Apostles, right? And people close to the Apostles. And the Apostle Paul himself wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. In fact, as he's writing these words, he's writing the New Testament, which means Timothy and everybody else, Timothy in particular, though, does not have the entire New Testament when Paul writes this, right? Because he hasn't even received the book we call 2 Timothy, and there are probably other books of the New Testament that had not yet been written even when 2 Timothy was written. So Timothy doesn't have the whole New Testament. And it would take quite some time, right, before all the books of the New Testament were copied out and distributed where everybody 
could have a copy, right, in their church where they could hear it. You couldn't just like, you know, copy it and put it on the internet for everybody to see instantaneously. It had to be copied out by hand, had to be delivered by hand, had to travel hundreds and probably thousands of miles to get to all the different believers spread out all over the Roman Empire. So nobody at this point had the whole New Testament. In fact, they may not have had very much of the New Testament at all by this point. So mainly what Paul is talking about when he says all Scripture is breathed out by God is he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. And he says all those Scriptures, all those books of the Old Testament, from Genesis onward, they're all breathed out by God. All of that is Scripture. All of that is inspired by God. Now, of course, that also does apply to the New Testament, right? I'm not saying it doesn't apply to the New Testament. I'm just saying most of what they would have as Scripture at the time was the Old Testament. Now, you and I have the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of that is Scripture, and all of this applies to all of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament as well. In fact, there is at least some evidence that they did have, Timothy would have had, part of the New Testament by this time. And I, these little nuggets I, I love, right? So in 1 Timothy 5.18, there's a verse you may not have paid much attention to before. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul tells Timothy, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, here's what's significant about that little statement. Paul says, the scripture says, and then he quotes two different passages. One of them is from Deuteronomy, about not muzzling the ox when it treads out the grain. The other one, the laborer deserves his wages, probably comes from either the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. That's something Jesus said. Which means Timothy probably had access to at least one of the Gospels. By that point. Probably not all four, almost certainly not all four, but maybe one, right? And what's significant is Paul calls that book scripture equal with the Old Testament scriptures, equal with Deuteronomy. So again, he's mainly talking about the Old Testament scriptures, but all of the Bible is included here. But I, I want to emphasize that it has to do with the Old Testament because for us, that's the part we tend to leave out and ignore, right? We tend to think the New Testament, that's where I want to spend all my time. The Old Testament, yeah. it gets kind of hard in there. It gets kind of weird in there. Some difficult things to read, much less understand in there. But Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, all of it, all Scripture, all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament, all of it is breathed out by God. Now, what does that mean? All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means all Scripture has its ultimate origin in God. In other words, Genesis, though it was written by Moses, is not ultimately Moses' book. It's God's book. Isaiah, written by Isaiah, but ultimately it's God's word. It's from God. Those words came from God's mouth. Right? That's what it means when it says he, it was breathed out by God. That's where we get the word 
Inspiration, by the way, your translation may use, all scripture is inspired by God. It means it's breathed out by God. It comes from God's mouth. Its origin is God himself. Peter will tell us that where we get the Bible is that uh, holy men, right? But they were, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Whenever they wrote the words of scripture, they were, they were moved by the Spirit of God. It's a mystery how this works, but ultimately the word in the Bible is not the word of men, but the word of God. It comes to us through men, right? But it's ultimately God's word. So all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, wherever you are in the Bible, ultimately comes to you, comes to me, comes to us from God. And because of that, Paul can say that all scripture is also profitable. All scripture is breathed out by God, he says, and profitable, meaning it's all good for us. It profits us. It benefits us. It blesses us. God doesn't waste words. God doesn't throw away words. God doesn't say things just to sort of fill the void. God speaks words that bless, that heal, that correct, that confront, but that always profit us, always benefit us, always do us good. So if you were to say, why would I spend time in the Old Testament? Because it's profitable. Why spend time reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, listening to the Bible? Because it's profitable. It's good for us. It benefits us. It blesses us. It helps us. It comes from God. And scripture is sufficient He says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, whatever any pastor, minister needs to do, Sunday school teacher, everything they need to do as far as ministering to others, they're equipped for it sufficiently by the word. You need to rebuke someone. It's there. You need to correct someone. So well, not, not quite this way, but let's try it this way. It's there in the Word. You need to train someone, help someone know what is good and how to walk in the way that is good. The Scripture gives us all that we need right, to train us, to teach us, to correct us, to help us know the way that we should go and to warn us against the ways that we should avoid. Nothing else in the world is like this. No other book, no other words, nothing else in the world comes to us with the same level of authority, the same promise of blessing or profitability or or benefit, right? So I would plead with you to give yourself to the scriptures and to give the scriptures pride of place in your life. Make it a priority to listen to the word regularly. Only here and always here do you hear God himself speaking to you. There's lots of other good things out there. Good books to read, good thoughts to listen to. But you have to sift them. Some of it's good and some of it's not good. This is always good, always profitable, always beneficial, 
Only here do we know for sure when we open up this book that God himself is speaking to us. And that's not true of anybody else or anything else. So make listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, thinking about the Bible, make that a priority. The second thing Paul says is he tells Timothy what he's supposed to do with the Bible, with this scripture that is inspired by God, that's breathed out by God, that's profitable. What is he supposed to do with it? Well, in 1 Timothy, before we get to what he says here in 2 Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy this, in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so one of the things that should happen when Christians come together is the Scripture should be read out loud. When we come together for worship, we need to hear the Bible. Right? That's why we have a, a special section of our worship service that's devoted to reading the Scripture. And typically, I try to read at least a chapter right, so that we are hearing the Word of God. At, at that point, there's no interpretation, there's no explanation, just reading the Scriptures, just hearing what God Himself has said. That's not an optional thing. Paul tells Timothy, you devote yourself to that. Right, so whenever we come together for worship, you should hear the Bible read out loud. But here in 2 Timothy, Paul says something else that Timothy is supposed to do, not just to read it, but also to preach it. And notice the, the heaviness, the weight of the charge that Paul places upon Timothy here. Verse 1. Of chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Right? Now, he, he piled up a lot of things in there, so I want you to pause and think about this for a minute. It's as though Paul is saying to Timothy, as he's writing him this letter, he says, Timothy, I want you to think about the fact that even right now, we're in the presence of God. God is with us. God knows us. God sees everything. He, he, he's aware of what's going on in our lives, our ministries, our, everything. We are in God's presence. And we're in the presence of Christ himself. Jesus, who, remember, is coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. So I just want you to think about Timothy the fact that we're in the presence of God, we're in the presence of Christ, Christ is coming back to judge, and I want to charge you by Christ's appearing, right, by his coming, and by his kingdom, which is what we preach, the kingdom of God, the saving reign of God, knowing all those things, feel, feeling the reality, the weight of all those things, in, in light of all those things and by those things, I tell you, Timothy, here's your job. Preach the word. Proclaim the scriptures that have been breathed out by God. You are a herald of God's own word. It's a weighty charge. That's why we do what we do when we come together. That's why 
preaching is such a central part of every Protestant church, every Protestant worship service, we give pride of place to the preaching of the Word. Not because we think really highly of preachers, but because we think really highly of God and of what God has said. And we want to hear what God has said. We want to have it proclaimed to us and applied to our lives that we might be instructed and benefited from God's words. This is a weighty charge and a clear command that Paul gives to Timothy. And then notice what else he says about preaching the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. And that might mean be ready when you think it's time to preach and when you think maybe it's not going to be time to preach, be ready anyway. Or it could mean, and this is what seems to fit better in the context, it could mean be ready to preach when people want to hear it and when they don't. Because they're not always going to want to hear it as he's going to Tell Timothy in just a moment. So be ready in season and out of season. And what are you supposed to do when you preach? You reprove, you rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Every part of that sentence is important and instructive. And probably every preacher sort of leans on one part of that sentence more than the other. Some do a whole lot of rebuking. Some don't do very much rebuking at all. Right? Some do a whole lot of teaching. Some don't do much teaching at all. Not everybody's different, but all of these pieces need to be present, and all of them are important. Preaching involves reproving and rebuking. It means saying, this is not right. Don't do that anymore. God doesn't want you to go that way. He wants you to live this way. That's part of preaching. So is exhorting, encouraging. Believe. Live out what you believe. Do what God says. It's better. It's worth it. Exhort you. Encourage you. Plead with you. Read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Do what God says. Believe that God's way is best. That's exhorting. And he says, do this with complete patience and teaching. Be patient with the people that you're preaching to. Paul didn't say this, but, um, you know, it might have been on his mind. We could speculate. I I think he would have been safe to say, right? Uh, Timothy, I've, I've been patient with you. Make sure you're patient with them. It's it's easy whenever, and anybody who's ever taught anybody anything, right? Not just preachers. Anybody who's ever taught a child, right? Or being a teacher at school or a Sunday school teacher. It's very easy, right? When you're teaching somebody else to think that they ought to understand what you understand right now. No matter how long it took you to understand it. Right? It might have taken you years to learn it, but now you want everybody to know it right now. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked for you. You can't expect that to work for everybody else either. Be patient, he tells Timothy. Preach with complete patience and teaching. Help people understand. Explain why things are. Right? Preaching can't just be 
This is the thing. Do it. The end. Right? Preaching has to be, this is what God says. This is why he says it. This is how he encourages you to do this. And, and here's how we live that out. There has to be instruction. There has to be teaching. There has to be explanation. Some of preaching is just announcing. This is the truth. But part of teaching, or part of preaching also has to include teaching, explaining. And that requires patience. Right? Preaching ought to bring people along and not feel not, not make them feel like they've been left in the dust. I'm moving on without you. Right? Bring people along. Explain. Encourage. Exhort. All this is part of what you should expect whenever you come to church to hear the word of God. You should expect scripture to expose you, to confront you, to correct you. That, that's, I'll just be honest for a minute, that's probably one of my least favorite parts of preaching. I don't like to, I don't like conflict, I don't like confronting people in person or from the pulpit. I, I, just, I don't enjoy that, but sometimes the Bible says things that we have to say, look, this means you need to stop this thing that you're doing, or, or be warned about this thing I, I, I'm concerned about you drifting into. That, that's part of it. Right? And you ought to be Built up and encouraged. If every Sunday you walked out just feeling like you've been hit with a hammer over and over and over, rebuke, 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 and that's all it was, Sunday after Sunday, that's not all preaching is. There ought to be exhortation. There ought to be encouragement. There ought to be building up. You ought not feel like you've been run over. You ought not feel like you're just supposed to Understand everything the first time you hear it. There needs to be patient teaching involved. Now, so far, you might say, okay, well, you know, that, this sounds mostly like a sermon for you. <laughs> Not really for us, right? And there's some truth to that, right? I, I want you to hear what you ought to expect to hear from me or whoever you're listening to preach. It is for you as well as for me, but this, this next part is especially for you. It's still written to Timothy. He's still instructing Timothy, but this is in particular about the people who are going to be listening or, or not listening to Timothy, as the case may be. And, and this in particular, I want you to, to, to hear and to notice. He gives Timothy a warning. Right, in verse, starting in verse 3, he says, The time is coming when people would, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, I imagine right, that there have been many times since Paul wrote those words, that we could say that's true. Many times when the time had come when people would no longer endure sound teaching. They no longer wanted to hear the truth. They no longer wanted to hear the Bible, regardless of what it said. They no longer wanted right, the, the, the full 
truth of the scripture. They didn't want to hear the whole counsel of God. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. It happened a lot. It happens all the time, right? It still happens today. So what is Paul warning about here? Well, the one of the beautiful things about the Bible, right, is that um, it's just specific enough to be convicting without being so specific that it only applies to like one particular situation. Okay, so for example, if I had been preaching this passage, let's say 10 or 15 years ago, my main concern about people turning away from the truth and accumulating teachers who are telling them what they want to hear. My main concern would have been people listening to health and wealth and prosperity preachers. Because right? there was a lot of that going on. There's still a lot, right? I'm still concerned about it, but it's, it's I wouldn't say it's the primary concern now. But there are plenty of preachers out there, right, who they'll tell you if you just have enough faith in God, then you'll have plenty of money, and you'll be healthy, and God will give you all these material blessings. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that, but people love to hear that stuff, right? You've got to watch out for that. You don't want to be drawn away into listening to someone just because you like what they have to hear. The, the, the litmus test is, are they telling me what God wants me to hear? Are they telling me what God says in his word? But that, that's not my prime concern right now, right? Right now, we have the ability to accumulate for ourselves more teachers and spend more time listening to them than anybody has ever had access to in the history of the world. It has only been in the last what, couple of decades or so, that the news is on 24-7 on multiple channels. You used to not be that way, right? I mean, I'm not that old. I'm getting older. But I can remember when if you wanted to watch the news, you had to turn it on at that one certain 30-minute time block three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And that was pretty much what you got. But now, you can listen to the news all day long, all week long, and just shoot your blood pressure through the roof if you want to. It's dangerous, right? And so what I, what I want to help us realize is that when Paul says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're not only talking about teachers in churches. This is any kind of teacher. And if you turn on CNN or Fox News, you're being taught. You can turn on MSNBC or One American News, you'll probably be preached at. And you can listen to podcasts and television and talk radio all day long, all week long, for hours at a time, and you can hear exactly what you want to hear. And what you need to consider is what you're hearing and whether what you're hearing lines up with 
what the scripture says. All right, I, I want you to, to think about this. Because right, you might say, okay, you're, you're, you're blending categories here, right? Paul's talking about listening to the Bible, and you're talking about listening to, to politics and news and stuff like that. How, how does that overlap? Well, let me just ask you a question. Regardless of what your political positions are, right, would you say that the, you hold most of the political positions you do because you're a Christian? Or are your political views totally separate from what you believe about God and the world and the Bible and whatnot? Or somewhere in between? Probably for most of you, most of us, there's at least some overlap, right? Maybe some of us have, you know, some things we say, well, I don't really know if the Bible even talks about that issue. I've got an opinion about it, but, you know, I don't know if the Bible says anything in particular. But my, my, my basic, you know, way I look at the world, even politically, I, it's informed by my faith, I think, I hope, right? So if that's the case then we need to ask ourselves a few questions about the people who we listen to who are teaching us about politics and the world and how we should view the world and all those kinds of things. We need to ask ourselves questions like this. The people that I'm listening to who are teaching me how to view the world, how to think about the things that are happening in the world, are they... Christians? Are they, are, is their view of the world informed by the Christian faith? Now, I'm not saying you can't listen to people on the news who aren't Christians. Don't hear me saying that at all. I'm just saying you need to be aware. Are these people Christians? Are they, are they talking from a Christian point of view? Are, do they share the same faith convictions that I do? And if they don't, that doesn't mean I shouldn't be listening to them necessarily, but it does mean I need I need to be aware that they may not be saying things that I can always agree with. Right? Because if they're not coming from the same starting place that I am, then there might be some things that they would say, well, I agree with them on a lot of stuff, but I, I can't agree with them on that. You need to think about things like this. Do these people that I'm listening to, do they talk about their enemies and treat their enemies the way Jesus does and the way Jesus tells me to. How do these people talk about the unborn? How do they talk about immigrants? How do they talk about people? Do they talk about people the way Jesus does? Or are they subtly teaching me to think about people and treat people in a way that's contrary to what Jesus modeled? And tells me to do. They might be telling you what you want to hear, but they might not be telling you what you need to hear. So we have to be careful. Here's, here's a quote that um, I came across a, a while ago, and it bothered me, and it still bothers me, and, and I want it to bother you, if I'm honest. Okay, here's what this guy said. He said, people will leave a church over politics before they leave politics for a church. One and a half hours on Sunday 
versus 20 hours a week feeding on cable news and its political partisans ranting is shaping a lot of people's theology for the worse. I might just substitute shaping people's Christian lives for the worse. So what I'm saying here is just be aware. Be aware of who you're listening to and where they're coming from and what they're saying and to what degree it does or doesn't line up with what God says. Because you, it's very possible you're spending a lot more time listening to those guys than you are listening to Scripture or even listening to other Christians encourage you to do what Scripture says. Paul also says in verse 4 that they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll leave the truth and, and they will get lodged in things that aren't even true. Now, this is something that was apparently very concerning to Paul because he talked about it in 1 Timothy as well. In chapter 1 he said, As I urged you when, going, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then later in 1 Timothy 4, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. This too is happening, right? People get ensnared in stories that they think are true, that are just made-up nonsense. How do we know if we are being shaped by the truth? What are you listening to? What are you devoting yourself to? This is the only place where we know we're getting all the truth and nothing but the truth. And everything else we hear and listen to needs to be filtered through this lens. What does God say? What has God said about it? How does God want me to respond? How does God want me to think? So he tells Timothy in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, don't get caught up in all that other stuff. You keep a clear head. You endure suffering. You do the work of, of an evangelist. Tell people that God has loved us. He sent his son to die on the cross in our place for our sin. He raised him from the dead. That anyone who turns from sin and trusts in Jesus will be forgiven and given new life. And fulfill your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. So, my charge to you is just to be careful who you're listening to. Be mindful of how much you're listening to and where it's coming from. Be mindful even of the tone that you're taking in. And ask yourself, how consistently am I listening to the Scriptures? Am I as devoted to listening to the scriptures as I am to listening to 
fill in the blank. These are the words of God. They are profitable. They are good for us. Always good for us. All of them, always good for us. Don't surround yourselves with those who are only telling you what you want to hear. Fill your mind, your heart, your life with the Word of God. It doesn't always tell you what you want to hear, but always tells you what you need to hear and what is good for you and good for us. Let's pray.